And it's time for a new edition of Phillies Talk Podcast. Baseball back on the field in Clearwater today. A lot of talk about the Phillies for 23. And we'll end the podcast talking about Tim McCarver, a longtime Philly and great broadcaster. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast for February 26, 2023. A great day here on the show. I'm joined with my longtime co-host, Matt Vizi here on the show. Matt, we got spring training baseball all of a sudden. Hey, Rich, how are you? All right. How are you doing? Um, wonderful. That's great. So uh, we were just tuning into the television before we started the podcast here and uh, 80 some degrees down there in Clearwater. The palm trees are swaying and the Phillies are on the field. Is that a miracle or what? It's I wouldn't say it's a miracle, Rich, but it's a (laughs) it is a blessing. Let's put it that way. Nice to have uh, baseball back and we can actually start talking about ball players and performances and game results. Uh, Phillies won. Well, actually, they split yesterday. They won their uh, official spring Grapefruit League opener seven to four over the Yankees, uh, pulling away in the late innings. And the split squad team uh, dropped a 4-2 decision to Detroit uh, out in Lakeland. So a mixed bag, but it was good to have the players out on the field again. Yeah, shaking that rust off, so to speak, uh, yesterday and probably for a good week or more maybe two weeks with some of these players. But uh, as you said, yeah, the Phillies' main team that they broadcast yesterday was uh, against the Yankees. They had the win, and always better to win than lose, but we'll take it with a grain of salt for now. I can't wait to see the full team later on in the month of uh, March here as we get closer to uh, opening day and uh, more into the spring training, the meat of it, so to speak, with uh, the regulars on the Phillies team. But uh, we got that World Baseball Classic sitting in the middle of that as well. Yeah, the Phillies have, I believe it is eight players headed to the WBC, and they'll be leaving camp, I believe, by next weekend or right after that, uh, sometime between March 5th and March 8th, those eight players uh Trey Turner, J.P. Realmuto, Kyle Schwarber will be headed to Pool C, which is over in Arizona. Uh, so they have to travel out there to the desert. They'll be playing for Team USA, of course. Uh, Taiwan Walker also goes to Arizona. He'll be playing for Team Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, down in Miami, the Team Venezuela will be getting Ranger Suarez and Jose Alvarado, a couple of quality lefties from the Phils. The Dominican Republic is slated to get uh, Giovanni Soto from the Phillies, new reliever acquired in that big trade that sent Matt Beerling and Nick Maton uh, over to Detroit. But uh, Soto hasn't reported to camp, I don't believe yet. He's uh, had some uh, supposedly minor issues, so he is scheduled to pitch for the Dominican Republic. And then Garrett Stubbs, our backup catcher, is headed to Team Israel, so at least uh, for a few days, uh, sometime around March 5th to 8th, probably lasting through maybe like the 11th or 12th, the Phillies will be without both JT Realmuto and Garrett Stubbs. So uh, their top two catchers will be gone. Uh, Stubbs probably won't be gone too long. Team Israel, not expected, uh, not, not much expected out of them. Probably they'll get two or three games in and Stubbs will be back. And uh, unless there's a major upset, uh, Real Muto will probably be there maybe another um, five to seven days longer, you know, if Team USA goes all the way to the finals. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Can't wait to see some of those games. Kind of sad that the Phillies will lose some of their best players out of camp. You know, a lot of people go down to spring training. Maybe they didn't. Uh, realize that some of their favorite players won't be there. But, you know, today they showed spring training down there in Clearwater with the weather and everything like that. And as long as you have baseball playing, I don't think too many people will mind. No, and it's uh, especially when you talk about those catchers, uh, it's an opportunity for some guys. You know, Raphael Marchand, who's 
basically had a cup of coffee up here with the Phillies. Uh, he'll get a lot of uh, opportunity to catch. He'll probably be the primary guy. And then you have some of the guys down there that are, they're carrying because of that situation. I think something along the lines of uh, six non-roster invitees as catchers. So, or at least five and then uh, maybe another player or two who have some catching experience or emergency catching experience. So it's an opportunity for guys uh, for, and for the, for the coaches to work with them. Um, they, they'll get that exposure to some big league pitching that they might not have previously. So uh, it's an opportunity for guys uh, for a week or two to uh, get some experience down there in Clearwater. Yes, indeed. And as we're doing the podcast, of course, the Phillies are playing and Trey Turner just got his first hit. On his first up at it as a Philly, banged out a single. That's awesome to hear. And I think he's going to be a, uh, a great addition to this Phillies baseball team this year. First of many hits, Rich. Um, you know, he's got a long contract. So Phillies fans better get used to him here as their starting shortstop for a number of years. And then uh, even beyond that, I mean, I'm not sure how long he'll be able to play shortstop for at a quality level. He's 29 now, turned 30 during the season. Uh, I believe uh, during the summer months. And so the, the Phillies will have him for his uh, year 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. So, you know, he should pr provide them with quality shortstop play for at least the next four or five years, you would assume. And, and you know, beyond that, the second half of his contract, they can see what's going on at that time. You know, he, he could end up uh, switching over to second base at some point. That wouldn't surprise me. Just all depends on, who else is available, how he's performing, but the man's in great shape. He's an outstanding athlete. He's an outstanding uh, ball player. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him be productive even into his late thirties. I'm looking forward to him. He's very, very dynamic, exciting player, Rich. Yes, he is. Uh, Matt Gelb just tweeting out as we're doing the live stream here, uh, Trey Turner wearing double oven mitts on the bases. And he heard uh, Matt did that this is something he's going to do to avoid finger and hand injuries this year. So uh, look forward to the double oven mitts on uh, Trey Turner, possibly uh, when he reaches base this year. But as you said, I'm excited for it too, uh, for him being on the team. I'm looking for a player to buy a Jersey for this year. And I, I had my eye on one and now I'm starting to think maybe Turner for one of the authentic jerseys. So I'm uh, going to make my mind up in the next couple of weeks, but um, he's definitely one of the players I would consider buying a uh, very expensive, authentic jersey for. Especially, uh, and, and you made the key observation there, Rich, expensive. So if you're going to lay out that money for a jersey these days, unless you had a real absolutely favorite player you know, who has a short-term deal, I think you have to make that type of investment for a player that the team has invested in long-term. And certainly Trey Turner is going to be around for the next signed to the next decade. And you have somebody like Bryce Harper, of course, who's always around. Uh, you can you know, feel safe, obviously purchasing his Jersey and that he'll be around for a long time. And even guys like uh, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos, um, Brandon Marsh, you know, these players, even the, the younger guys, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, it's really just a question of, uh, you know, pick your poison on who do you like. There are a number of starting pitchers. Uh, you could you could go with Zach Wheeler, who's going to be here for the next, at least the next two, three years. And hopefully at some point they'll get Nola signed. And if you see that happen, then you know he's going to be here for maybe six, seven, eight years. Uh, so Ranger Suarez is going to be around a long time, but there's a lot of, a lot of places, you know, and then you, you might even want to roll your dice. You know, you might, might want to go out there and get a painter Jersey or an able Jersey. So uh, I would wait more and see those guys break in and actually stay healthy. Maybe uh, another year or two before you bought their Jersey, but they're the Phillies have a number of guys. Their core is locked up for, to play together for the next, you know, three, four years. So a lot of, uh, just, you know, a lot of people you can invest in and feel comfortable that you're going to get quality usage out of a Jersey on a, on a 
a productive player, a likable player who's going to be here for a number of years. Yeah, I had considered uh, Castellanos as well. Um, I think he's an exciting player, although, you know, I'm looking for long term, too. If he should, you know, just be a, a couple years and out for the Phillies. Uh, I hope he has a good year this year, by the way. But he was in the running as well for for the jersey. I'm really rooting for him um, and hoping he does well this year. But yeah, as you said, Painter is a possibility. Wheeler's always a possibility. Uh, so we'll see as time goes on how I narrow down the choice for that jersey. But they're expensive. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, if you have the means, then it's uh, just a question of picking the guy that you like and uh, and investing your money and uh, your dollar, hard-earned dollars in them. You can always go, there's always, if you, if you don't have that kind of money or you, you know, you don't want to take the risk, you can always go the Scherzi route, you know, buy yeah. the t-shirt, you know, that has the, they're great, especially in the summertime when it's hot out and you want to go to the ball game, throw on a Scherzi of your favorite player. Exactly. Good, good tip there. You don't have to always splash out on the big, uh, as you said, it's probably more comfortable in a cotton, nice t-shirt uh, anyway. But uh, somebody that doesn't have to worry about money too much is uh, Manny Machado. And I guess you probably read the news by now that he uh, possibly is in agreement with a new contract with the Padres. $350 million taking him into, I believe, 41 years old, uh, 11-year extension from the Padres. Yeah, it's kind of surprising to me, Rich, because I didn't, really didn't think they were going to be able to get that done. Not because uh, they were unwilling to put the money out. Obviously, they were, and they did get it done. But I just thought that Machado was going to use this as an opportunity to open up his contract again and go shopping in the market, uh, see what was out there. Now, uh, San Diego obviously was a place that he was comfortable with. They were going to, they've made an investment in winning. They've uh, brought in uh, more good players this year. So looks like uh, San Diego is going to be a tough team uh, for a while to, to come. And they'll have Juan Soto now that they're going to have to uh, deal with contract wise soon. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah. After years of somewhat obscurity, San Diego has, uh, suddenly tried to play the big stage with the Yankees, the Phillies, the Mets, of course, with their spending and really came out of nowhere. I don't know what happened there in San Diego. Maybe we'll have to find a, a blogger out there to bring on the show and tell us what, uh, what transpired out there in San Diego for them to bring all these big names onto that team. Uh, seemingly years, you really didn't hear much from San Diego. Um, They've been one of those teams like, um, you know, uh, a team under the radar, so to speak, and not one that splash out on a lot of free agents, high priced free agents at that. But uh, they certainly have made the investment and uh, we'll have to see how they do this year. And wondering, have you seen the Pocota ratings for the Phillies for 2023? They're, they're picked to be third place in the NL East by a couple of those rating services. I'm wondering if you had a chance to read that yet. You know, Rich, it's, yeah, I have, and it's, it's a fair rating. You know, they, they finished in third place last year. The Mets and Braves are both good. Uh, Bryce Harper is going to miss, at least he's anticipated to miss half of the season. So it's understandable why they're ranked third where, as they are. The Phillies can certainly change that narrative themselves by the way that they play. And they, if we all remember, they played really well last year when Bryce was out. It was actually that, that run that got them back into playoff contention pretty much happened right, right when Bryce went out. And uh, when he returned, they were they, – obviously, they're a better team when Bryce is in the lineup, but – uh, they had already got themselves vaulted back into postseason contention, actually into a spot at that point. So, you know, it's one thing to say we're not going to miss Bryce. Uh, it, that's going to be the loss of Bryce is going to be mitigated to an extent by, I think, three key improvements. 
One is the addition of Trey Turner, who is another MVP caliber player. So he alone is going to help mitigate the loss of Harper. But then again, also, I think Taiwan Walker is a better pitcher than Kyle Gibson was in the rotation. Ranger Suarez, I believe, is going to benefit more from the full season that he had in the rotation last year and his postseason experience, the growth that he showed last year. And then the bullpen, I believe, is improved over where it was a year ago at this time. So while I understand Pakoda being, I think what they're doing is they're being conservative with the Phillies. The Phillies themselves uh, can change the narrative as the season moves along. Yes, they can. They can reinvent the wheel, so to speak, and, and prove all the pundits wrong. I'm going to put up a, a still photo that was just uh, shared by um, Corey Seidel on uh, Twitter. And it shows the uh, defensive lineup here with uh, Castellanos up at uh, Baycare Ballpark there this afternoon in this game. It shows you how uh, the different fielders are lining up here. They're, they're practically giving Castellanos all of this area in here between um, first base and second base to get a hit. That's wild, isn't it? You're going to, you know, for all of the talk, Rich, of the big changes in shifts and shift restrictions this year, you're still going to see shifts. There's, mm -hmm. there, obviously, there's just going to be restrictions. And what you're going to see on a guy like Castellanos, as you see right here and as you just demonstrated, you're going to see that second baseman on right-handed dead pull hitters playing basically right on the bag, uh, the shortstop filling the hole. And you'll see the same on a guy like Schwarber on the opposite side. You'll see the first baseman as close to the bag as he can get. Uh, the second baseman will be totally in the hole, back on the dirt as far as he can go. And the shortstop will be close to right as close to the second base bag as he'll be allowed to go. So it's still going to be closed off. You just aren't going to see those radical shifts where they put three players completely on the other side of the bag so uh for the for a guy like schwarber you would have seen three infielders on the right side of the infield on a castellanos you would have seen three on the left side it's going to be as close as they can get to that now uh it's just that 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 swing player the shortstop for lefty hitters the second baseman for righty hitters is going to be at the bag instead of you know, five feet on the, on the other side of the bag. Uh, it's going to call for maybe a little bit more quickness and range, but most of those, most middle infielders today uh, have that kind of quickness and range where they can cover it. And the other thing that I'm going to be interested really in seeing on shifts, Rich, is I think that there are going to be, I don't know that everybody will do it. And it may be a question of, I believe that there'll be some, there's always some bold team out there who does it more than others, but there are going to be some teams who go two outfielders against certain hitters. They're going to run that risk. Uh, they're going to put the, that they're going to swing two outfielders over in the right field on a Kyle Schwarber, for instance, and play another outfielder in shallow right field uh, and just give up left field. Uh, maybe not 100 percent, you know, maybe you know a little bit of a swing around, or, but they're going to leave a large chunk of left field open to a guy like Kyle Schwarber. And then it, uh, they'll, they'll take the risk that, you know, a, a couple of times a year, he'll catch one off the end of the bat and bloop one out. Because what's going to happen is their pitchers are going to also be busting him in for the most part, trying to make sure that he hits it to the right side. So major league baseball teams aren't stupid and they're going to do whatever they can within the rules to gain some kind of edge for themselves uh, defensively. So fans, while the shift is going to have some measure of effect, I don't believe it's going to be as radical as, you know, people, some people might've thought it's going to be um, because I think teams are going to find a way to adjust. I think the athletes are better. Um, Teams are going to begin to start on as far as their infielders are concerned. I think they're going to be more there's going to be more emphasis, especially at second base and shortstop on 
range, athleticism, arms, uh, the, that defensive fielding ability as we move forward in the game uh, with the shift restrictions. So fans should expect to see once in a while on a, on a Nick Castellanos to the left side, on a Kyle Schwarber to the right side, that there's a, a third outfielder who is there where as, as kind of like maybe in softball, you might uh, term it as a short fielder. Uh And then two of the other outfielders that are left swinging around towards that side. And they're just going to leave the better part of the, the opposite field, if you will, for Schwarber to left field, right field for Castellanos. They're going to leave that uncovered figuring, Hey, even if he bloops one over there, our guy, our outfielder is fast enough that he can get to it. Maybe they're going to get a triple, but they're not fast enough. These runners to get an inside the park Homer. So I think you'll see it played off based on who is the hitter, um, wh- what kind of command and control does our pitcher have, the ability to keep it on the to bust them inside. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to me. I don't I don't find it. there are some people who are wringing their necks about it, you know, they're wringing their hands, they're worried about everything. Large bases. I watched the game yesterday, Rich. These large bases, yeah, they're larger, but. I made the comment yesterday on uh, the Phillies Bell Twitter feed when the, it came up for a discussion that I don't, I didn't think there was that big of a difference. It, it, I think as far as the impact on the game itself goes, there'll be some difference because it's a, a little, I, I noticed on a couple of the players where you used to, they would overslide the bag on say a stolen base or an extra, they were taking the extra base and they would slide aggressively into the, especially head first into the bag. They would slide over the bag before. It seems like there's more for them to grab onto now. It looks like it might be easier for them to hang on. And uh, there's more room for them to get into the base. But as far as the aesthetics of the game, when you're watching it and you're looking at the setup and all, you don't really notice it. Uh, I made the comment that somebody who didn't know that any of this had happened, if they had never advertised it, you might say to yourself, Oh, something looks a little different about them bases. I can't figure out what it is this year. Do they make them whiter? Like you just right. can't quite figure it out. Well, we all know they're a little bit bigger, but aesthetically the game hasn't changed. And uh, practically, as far as the impact on the, on the actual sport, I don't think that, I think it's, it's obviously going to have some, but I don't think see this yeah. as a big deal, Rich. So you know, there's a lot of things here. I think the pitch clock is going to be the most interesting thing to me, but I don't think that the, that it's going to have that big of an impact only because a lot of the younger players, players who played in the minor leagues over the last two years, uh, maybe three years have already seen the pitch clock. They've already had to adjust their game to the pitch clock. And if they spent an amount of time there or a full season in the minors, they're fully adjusted to it already. Uh, these mm-hmm. younger pitchers work quick already. Uh, any of the veteran pitchers who really take their time or any of the veteran hitters who habitually step out and take, you know, 10, 15, 20 seconds, even adjusting wristbands and batting gloves and all kinds of twitches that they might have, they're going to have to adjust those guys. And I right. think they will quickly, Rich. I think, I think, you know, that's why a good thing of instituting it immediately here in spring training from the first games, any problems that there are, they're going to be able to iron out pretty early. Uh, these are professional, good quality athletes and hitters. They're going to get in the box. They're going to be ready to hit. And I noticed guys step out yesterday. They can still step out, adjust their batting gloves once, uh, think about it for a few seconds and get back into the box before they have to be facing the pitcher. There's plenty of time to do that. Yeah. Uh, there's just not that exorbitant uh, extra time that some of these guys were taking. There are two Phillies that I'll be curious to watch about that I think would be affected. And one's already been mentioned by a number of national um, uh, resources and, and uh, pundits, and that is Bryce Harper. Bryce would step out a lot, adjust his batting glove straps and Take, think about it, bang the bat down a couple of times and then get ready. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to be a little bit quicker and he's going to have three months to be watching all of this. So I'm sure he's already going to be mentally prepared by the time he's ready to come back. And the other on the flip side on the mound is Aaron Nola. 
Noel is a guy who would frequently, you know, step off, step back, you know, wipe his brow, whatever, like get ready, take a breath before the next pitch. You're going to have to get in there, get ready and, and deliver your pitch. So these are talented guys, Rich, physically and, and uh, baseball wise. So they're going to, they're going to make the adjustments and let their talent take over. And, and my opinion, it's going to be better for them. They're going to get in, get in the box or get on the mound and just let their talent take over. Yeah. And as you said, uh, the pitching is going to have to uh, think about time as well. We saw Andrew Bellotti uh, start off today's game on Sunday as we're watching the game. And he was just getting the ball released as the zero was coming up on the on the countdown. I think he missed it a couple times and it wasn't called, but he's been known to have a slow delivery to the plate. I think he's probably the slowest in the MLB is what I heard last year. So um, we saw a few pitches from him already today and um, just he was just about making it, so to speak. Uh, I think they could have called called us, uh, called him for a couple of those violations already. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, the appeal process maybe on, on a pitch clock violation or, you know, they, they call it a pitch timer. I don't know if there is. Is there were... an appeal process? I don't know not, that there I'm is. Not sure. I don't think there is. Is there, is there or is there – is that the final word of the umpire? Because I, I could have swore I saw zero on the clock before the ball was delivered today. It wasn't called. So uh, that's going to be interesting. I wonder if they're going to keep stats on that, you know, like X amount of pitches weren't called and they were stale pitches, you know, the, the clock had expired or, you know, maybe the batter wasn't quite ready. Uh, that seems to be easier to call for them for some reason, but uh Going forward, it's going to be interesting. One of the games was already decided by that uh, pitch timers, what I heard the broadcast yesterday talk about uh, for the Phillies. That's what the MLB wants you to call it, a pitch timer, not a clock. But um, one game was already decided by that. A strikeout uh, was called, the batter wasn't ready, and uh, the game was over. So uh, Time is definitely going to play a factor in baseball this year, uh, unlike it never has over the past hundred plus years that we've grown accustomed to it. It's never been a game controlled by time till now in the in the big leagues. Um, but you know, it everything changes, and now this has changed. You know, Rich, the way I look at it is. It's kind of like, I don't, you know, things are different raising children these days, but when we were growing up, uh, when we were little kids, you know, back in the, back in the old days, uh, Uh you know, you, the little kid toddled up to the oven and he like went reaching up or she went reaching up to the, at towards the oven. And what did mommy do? Smacked his hands. Right. right, right. And And you know what, you know what, you know what happens, Rich, when that happens to you once, maybe twice, you don't reach Uh up to the oven again. All right. You know what I mean? So uh, the, the player who cost cost his team the game yesterday mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he wasn't ready to, to be in the batter's box. You know when that's going to happen again, Rich? It ain't going to happen again. Because if it happens again and you're not a star player, you're going to the minor leagues or you're getting released. So you can't be costing your team games. And to take the, the hands out of a batter, a, a good hitter, say, in a key situation – that can cost a game, whether it's happening in the, if the ninth inning or the fourth inning or the sixth inning. Uh, take an RBI opportunity away from a Manny Machado or a Bryce Harper or an Aaron Judge in, an, in a moment where the game, a lot of these games, Major League Baseball games are decided by, you know, one, two, three runs. Uh, these are key moments in the game, even if they're in the fourth inning. So to me, it's a question of, you know, if you let it happen to you once, you know, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know? Yeah. Uh, these guys know the rule. They're big boys. You know, get in there and be ready to hit. And if you don't like it, you know what? Uh, you're getting paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to get in there and be ready and hit. And if you're not ready, you know what? Go dig a ditch somewhere. Rich. That's the way I, that's why <laughs> I'm being totally honest with you. You know, 
be ready to play the game. These are the rules. You don't like it, go do something else. And even ditch diggers will make a, a good buck these days. Seems like or a lot not of to, people. Not to, I'm not trying to be little ditch diggers, but you know, yeah, yeah. if you don't want to play baseball, go do something else. You know, if you don't like the rules, hey, there's other places to go. You know, there's other things other, to do. There's other avenues to pursue, yeah. of course. Be a, but, be, a, uh, be a podcaster, you know, <laughs> yeah, start a website. Uh, big money, big money. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't seen it yet, but, uh, you know, they say it's on the way. All right. But, yeah, um, going to be interesting this season. Time is going to play a big uh, tail in baseball. And interestingly enough, we talked about Manny Machado in the first couple minutes of the podcast, but he was the first one to be called for a violation, not being ready for a pitch. And he's been a little bit of that lazy, lollygaggy type of, batter as well so he's going to have to uh you know earn his 350 million dollar 11 year extension now and maybe speed up his game a little bit so uh you know the people can get out 20 minutes sooner than they used to that's what they claim uh this pitch timer is going to save about 20 minutes per game possibly uh bringing it down to about two hours and 25 minutes, two hours and a half, two hours, 40 minutes, somewhere around there instead of the three hour games. But I don't know. I've never complained about the length of a game and I don't think too many people have, but apparently somewhere they feel that it's uh, going to improve the game. Although where you're going to see the improvement, Rich, and I have, I noticed it just yesterday. Uh, I, I didn't only watch the Phillies. I watched a couple of games and over the last couple of days, because uh, there were a couple of games the day before on Friday mm-hmm. and the pace of the game is different. It's not just that the game's going to be over 20 minutes quicker uh, in total, because you're going to have stops in the action because of television and radio revenue. So there are going to be TV and radio breaks here and there that are going to stop the action. Pe- people who get used to the pitch timer are going to be like, what's going on? Why are we well, it's a TV timeout, you know? Uh, so th- there's going to be a length of time to the games. You're never going to get it cut down to an hour and a half game, but the, the pace of the game is going to flow a lot smoother, a lot quicker with a number of the different changes that they put in the last few years. The, the relief pitcher must pitch to three batters rule. So the manager isn't constantly coming out, changing pitcher, changing pitcher. If there are like a number of every, every batter or two in the late innings, the, the pitch timer, the uh, limit on pickoffs, you know, all these things are going to pick up the pace of the game. So that's what you're going to see as a big difference. I think in watching a baseball game is the crispness of the game. And I'm looking forward to it, frankly. All right. Another so thing, Rich, you mentioned yes. uh, Machado being called as the first guy and being traditionally one of these guys that might take a little longer to set up than other hitters and mm-hmm. Bellotti being a slow mover on, on the opposite end as a pitcher and taking the, the pitch timer down to zero. I think what you're going to see some of these guys do, the guys who are on the extreme, like those two are, you're going to see some of these guys try it now because the games don't count. You're going to see them. How, how much can I get away with? How far can I go? So a Machado might get in there and say, you know, let me do what I do and see what I do and see what happens. And then yeah. he's like, all right, now I got to cut something out. You know what I mean? A Bellotti is going to keep taking it down to zero. And, and it's really on the umpires, Rich, when they, when you said like, I don't know why, you know, that wasn't a called a ball, you know, because the pitch climber had run out. It's not when he throws, when the ball leaves his hand, by the way, it's the, where he is when he makes his first natural movement to pitch. So not from the set position or from the stretch, but when he actually starts into his windup, as long as he started into his windup, then he's good. So you might see a guy start into his windup and throw to pitch and the pitch timer still going. It goes to zero, but he's already, he's not illegal. If you follow he's already in his windup. Yeah. Yeah. A okay. lot of it's going to do, it, it's good. It's all going to be called by the umpires. So you yeah. may get, you know, some umps who are religious. It, we have, we've seen that for the history of the game, Rich. you know, some guys who are religious about the strike zone 
and other guys who are liberal, right? We've seen guys who are like, okay, you know, they're a little pitcher friendly, quote. Mm -hmm. Another guy who's like hitter friendly, he gives a, a wide strike zone or a, a narrow strike zone. So I think you're going to see that here. You'll see some guys who are like, all right, that was close, but, you know, I ain't going to quibble. I ain't going to quibble. Uh, if it starts get things start getting exaggerated, then you'll see those guys make a call. You'll see other guys who are, and probably most of them, especially in, initially because MLB wants to, not the MLB, Rich, but MLB. There's no right. such thing as the Major League Baseball. But yeah. you're going to see MLB wants these rules called. So you're going to see a lot of these umpires, uh, especially the new guys. There's, there's a lot of new umps this year. A bunch of guys retired. I don't know if they just didn't feel like, you know, been around for decades and they didn't feel like dealing with the changes, but there are a number of new umpires. They've been umpiring in the minor leagues for years and they, they're used to these rules already. So I think that most of the umpires, I think are going to call it pretty straight. Uh, you'll have a few and, and those few who are a little more liberal, uh, maybe let a hitter get away with a second or two, you know, extra preparation, a pitcher get away with a second or two, you know, overage on their, their uh, delivery of the pitch. That's where you're going to see some fans go, what happened there? What are you supposed to call that? And so uh, for the most part, I think you're going to see it called pretty tightly though. Yeah, we'll have to see interpretation on the umpires. That'll be playing into the games. Uh, Rob Thompson's got his first full season as the Phillies manager without that interim tag. Uh, he, he picked up a couple good players in the offseason, so I think it's going to make it a little bit easier for him this year. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, you got uh, just picking up Trey Turner, you know, right there. That's a big uh, that's a big addition. Uh, late in the offseason, they signed Josh Harrison who is a really nice, uh, experienced, productive, two-time all-star uh, veteran infielder who can help out. Uh, they've got some more depth in their outfield. First, he's going to have a first full season with Brandon Marsh manning center field. Uh, mm -hmm. Marsh is a key player. You know, how well does he handle playing more against left-handed pitching? And then uh, even the depth guys that are out there now have a little more experience, a guy like uh, Jake Cave or... Uh, Dalton Guthrie is a talented player that they'll have out there. Uh, they, they'll have uh, Edmundo Sosa you know, for a full season. So uh, he's got a more talented roster. I already mentioned uh, Taiwan Walker on the, on the pitching staff. Mm -hmm. The young guys, uh, Andrew Painter's going to break in, at, given health uh, at some point this season. You may even see Mick Abel and uh, Griff McGarry at some point as the year moves along. In the, the bullpen, you saw them make some really good additions uh, by bringing in lefty Matt Stram, uh, lefty Gregory Soto, and, uh, of course, the veteran right-hander Craig Kimbrell. So the bullpen has been, it looks like it's been uh, bolstered. But the Phillies are going to be a really good team this year, again, given health. And we know health is already an issue because they're they're missing their MVP in Bryce Harper for half the year almost. So, um as long as they don't have any further, you know, big physical uh, uh, issues with, with their key players, they're going to be right in the thick of things. Yeah. And I can't wait to see if uh, Rob Thompson is actually, you know, the motivator behind the Phillies. I think he is uh, when he took over. Uh, it seemed like that team totally changed and maybe they became looser uh, the management style is different. He's sort of an uh, easygoing type of guy, it seems like, for the most part, as long as the job gets done. And that can motivate players to do well as, as well. So um, I'm looking forward to see how Thompson will hand or, handle this season, uh, his first on the reins of the Phillies, the 56th manager ever of the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, to wrap this podcast up, Matt, um, I want to bring up an old Philly and a great broadcaster that passed away uh, 10 days ago now. Um, Tim McCarver passed away recently. A lot of uh, younger fans may not know him too well, but I know you and I do. He was an essential part of the Phillies way back when, when Steve Carlton was pitching. He was uh, Steve Carlton's personal catcher, 
And what a great broadcaster, what a, what a loss it was. Yeah, and younger players, uh, young, pardon me, younger fans, and especially uh, when I say younger fans, I even mean you know, fans in their 30s. Uh, they only know McCarver as a broadcaster, and he was a fantastic broadcaster, commentator. And in fact, he was enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame as the Ford Frick Award winner as a Hall of Fame broadcaster. But uh, he was a fantastic ball player, too. This is a four-decade ball player, Rich. He, he broke in with the St. Louis Cardinals just, uh, just a month, I believe, out of high school in 1959, or a few months out of high school back in uh, 1959. He then went it became a slowly became over, over the early 60s a regular. And by the mid 60s, he had become the Cardinals starting catcher. He started for uh, three NL pennant winners in St. Louis, including World Series champions in 1964 and 67. Uh, Steve Carlton debuted with the Cardinals in 65 as a 20 year old. And he and McCarver began their relationship then. They became fast friends and lifelong friends. In, it, it was in October of 69, Rich, that McCarver became part of what was one of the most historic trades, it would turn out, in MLB history. And in that deal, the Cardinals sent McCarver, uh, Kurt Flood, who was a two-time All-Star, a seven-time Gold Glove Award winner, or a three-time All-Star, and uh, a guy, an outfielder named Byron Brown, and a pitcher named Joe Horner, who some uh, older Phillies fans will remember those two. The Cardinals sent that package to the Phillies for a three-player package that included Cookie Rojas, who was a, a key second baseman with the Phillies during the 60s, a young pitcher named Jerry Johnson, and the, the linchpin of that deal, Dick Allen, who was uh, very controversial here in Philly, three-time All-Star, 64 NL Rookie of the Year. What ended up happening, of course, was <clears throat> the key player coming back to the Phillies in that deal wasn't necessarily McCarver, but it was Kurt Flood, the outfielder. The, again, seven-time gold glover at that point, three-time All-Star, a fantastic center fielder. Kurt Flood just did not want to come to the Phillies. They were a losing team. They were looking like they were going to be on the downturn. They were they were giving up their biggest star in Dick Allen in that trade. So Flood saw coming to the Phillies as a losing proposition. He refused to report, and he challenged Major League Baseball's reserve system. He didn't end up winning that fight, but what he did do was he opened that entire legal process by which ultimately during the early to mid-70s, Major League Baseball's reserve clause was defeated finally in court, was overcome, and free agency, the free agent era, opened up. So Kurt Flood, a historic player, was involved in that Tim McCarver trade that brought McCarver to the Phillies, ultimately. Uh, the Phillies got a good player, Willie Montanez, uh, as compensation for Kurt Flood. In, yeah, I remember Willie. Yeah, well, there was a freak game, uh, Rich, that – Tim McCarver played in during his first big season with the Phillies in May of 70. He was the starting catcher and he broke a finger in a game in San Francisco. And their backup catcher was a guy named Mike Ryan, who a lot of Phillies fans will remember as one of the longest tenured coaches in this history of the club. Mm -hmm. um, Mike Ryan was the backup catcher. Two batters after McCarver breaks his finger. Mike Ryan suffers a broken finger on a play at the plate. So the Phillies lose both of their catchers in the same game. Uh, Ryan ended up coming back uh, before McCarver, and then McCarver himself returned in September. And Timmy was the Phillies' starting catcher uh, all through 71 and 72 as we opened Veterans Stadium. And as the Phillies acquired Carlton in a big, well-known 1972 trade with the Cardinals, uh, for another righty ace, Rick Wise. So that reunites <clears throat> McCarver with Carlton. And you think, oh, that's a nice story. But what happens, that only lasts a few months because in mid-June of that 72 season, McCarver gets dealt away to the Montreal Expos. So uh, St. Louis ends up reacquiring him. And then finally, he ends up uh, returning to the Phillies. He got released. Uh, he had bounced around. He went to Boston. 
he ends up coming back to the Phillies in, in I believe 1974 or 75. And it was right when they got Car uh, McCarver back that they went on that streak of finally contending again, uh, winning the three straight NL East crowns. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, McCarver ends up kind of aging out of the game in, and as he's aging into his late thirties, he takes up broadcasting for the first time. And he joins Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn, Andy Musser, Chris Wheeler, uh, that group in the Phillies broadcast booth as an analyst on radio and TV, 78, 79, a little bit. And he joins what was then fledgling HBO, uh, the cable network uh, back then, you know, in the seventies, it was just starting out and they had a baseball program called race for the pennant. It was kind of like a highlights, you know, discussion show, talk show. And McCarver was one of the hosts of that. So he gets released by the Phillies in November of 79. That that's the end of his playing career. Well, then what happens? Uh, he's starting his broadcasting career. Well, now in 80, of course, we all know the Phillies, ended up contending. They get back into the, the hunt and they're battling for the division again in September, 1980. Well, on September yes. 1st of 1980, what do they do? They signed Tim McCarver as a player to return. He'd been out of the game all year. What they're looking for is uh, for him to basically serve as a coach in the clubhouse, veteran voice, maybe a lefty pinch hit bat here and there. Uh, they break him in slowly, you know, as a player working out and all, maybe he's going to be some emergency insurance, you know, uh, as a veteran voice in the class, back up at first base and catcher. And he does get into a half dozen games and those half dozen games in September of 1980, make him that four decade player having played in 1959 and 1980. And then of course the entirety of the sixties and seventies. So very rare uh, performance as a player appearing in four decades. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the day after the Phillies won the division, Rich, and very dramatic game. Everybody remembers extra innings at Montreal. Schmidt hits a home run and they ended up winning the division. Well, they still have to play the next day. And they've been partying, you know, the players have been partying all night in the clubhouse, drinking. They're not ready to play a game on Sunday afternoon. Well, what is, uh, Dallas Green do, he, he runs out a lineup that's pretty much all backups, you know, and gives his regulars the rest. Uh, the only regular that played that day was Pete Rose, who, you know, he wanted to play every day, so they let him play. Mm. But McCarver gets an opportunity to play in his final game. And in that final game, he gets his final big league hit. Uh, it was actually a two-out, two-run double uh, that put the Phillies up at the time. And He's not included on the playoff roster. What he did was he joined the Callis and Ashburn as a, a voice on the Phillies TV broadcast in the NLCS and then on the radio, you know, for the World Series, because back in those days, the home broadcasters weren't allowed to do World Series games. They had to be on a national TV and radio. But uh, then he, you know, just be begins his broadcast career. He worked for all three major networks at one time. He did a pair of Olympic games broadcasts. Uh, he was an analyst at different times for both the Mets, Cardinals, and the Phillies. So he finally retired uh, after the 2013 season. He did do some Cardinals broadcasts uh, right through 2019. He would do a number of Cardinals games each year. Uh, sat out 2020 because of the COVID pandemic. Did a few games in 2021, and then last April, he announced that he was fully retired from broadcasting. And as he said, you know, finally passed away this year. But three-time Emmy Award winner, uh, Ford C. Frick winner enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, uh, baseball career as a player, coach, broadcaster from the 50s through the, you know, 2021. So fantastic, you know, career for Tim McCarver. God bless him. Rest his soul. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you've reminded me of Yogi Berra in a way that Yogi Berra seemed to be always in baseball when I was younger. There was never a time I, I never heard of Yogi Berra, and he was well before my time of watching baseball. He was that guy that stretched those four decades, like you said. And uh, what a great broadcaster. 
ex-Philly, great stories with Carlton, you know, his personal catcher. Um, tremendous loss there. And I know, uh, you know, life is short, life is fast, but uh, Tim McCarver died at 81 years old. Uh, rest his soul. And uh, we were happy to have him for that long. <clears throat> Yep. Man. God bless his family. I know he had a couple of kids, uh, obviously grown kids and <clears throat> grandkids. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they all miss him. And <clears throat> great, great memories with Tim McCarver. Yes. Well, that about brings our show to a close here for Philly's Talk podcast. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the Internet, Matt? Uh, first, we're giving a uh, giving update here. The Phillies are up two to nothing on the Minnesota nice. Twins in the bottom of the third uh, down there in Clearwater. So uh, there's your little game update. Uh, fans can reach me the usual place, Rich, which is at Phillies Bell. So it's like the bell that rings out there when they win a game or they hit a home run at Phillies Bell on Twitter. Uh, you can also go to at Phillies Bell on on uh let me see do Instagram. i have it anywhere else oh no i'm not I'm, you know what i pulled it down rich uh, i'm just oh, on okay. twitter so okay. uh, one-stop shopping visit at philly's bell on twitter uh have daily history updates on the team some in-game broadcasting uh, or commentary and uh, a lot of uh, feature articles uh, retweets comment comments on all kinds of stuff so uh, a lot of good philly's information at philly's bell on twitter Yes, indeed. Check it out. It's a worthwhile follow. Of course, you can find my website at fightinphillies.com. Follow me on Twitter at fightinphillies. And of course, our Phillies Talk podcast here that we do and the live stream. You can join our Facebook page and check out the live streams when we do them. Subscribe there and you'll get notified when we're live and doing these um, live stream broadcasts. And also the YouTube channel, uh, check it out, um, and our podcast. So if you want to just subscribe to the audio podcast, that's fine as well. We need a lot of listeners. Check it out over at fightinphillies.com or on Twitter from Matt's feed or my feed. And baseball is back. I, I just wanted to read a quick Twitter quote here from someone, a Phillies fan, um, she says, my soul is so much happier now that the at Phillies are back with a couple baseball emojis there. And I think that about sums it up for most of us out there. We're, we feel a lot better when the Phillies are playing. Feel a lot better it's, uh, baseball season. You know, play ball, Rich. Yep. And we're going to do some interviews with some other uh, bloggers this year. Can't wait to get them on talking with uh, myself and Matt. So uh, stick with the podcast, hit subscribe and like, share us with your friends. And we'll uh, talk to you on the next edition of the Phillies Talk podcast. Everyone have a great day. Go Phils. <laughs>